Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. I'm Jane Hong. And I'm Tim Sang. And we're your hosts. This season, we're focusing on the history of Asian American Christianity and the ways it can help us understand our present moment. Thanks for joining us. everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Centering, the podcast of the Fuller Asian American Center. I'm Jane Hong, co-host of the podcast this season with Tim Seng, and I'm a historian uh, focusing on 20th century U.S. history. And I'm also a historian focusing on Asian American Christian history and American religious studies. This episode, I am delighted to welcome in her inaugural podcast debut, Grace May, a good friend of mine, and also someone who will open up a little episode in the history of Chinese-American Christianity. Grace is the director of the Women's Institute at William Carey International University, and she's also an associate professor of biblical studies. And there, she teaches world religion and global women's empowerment as well. Grace is ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA and has pastored churches in New York City and Boston. In 2011, she co-founded Women of Wonder. Women of Wonder is a community that walks along women to uncover and affirm their God-given purpose through prayer, teaching, and celebration. Now, Grace has also taught biblical and theological foundations for women in ministry in seminaries across Asia, Africa, and North America. And most recently, she's authored uh, Women Discipling Men in Christian Egalitarian Leadership, empowering the whole church according to the scriptures. So today, I think the best way to to begin would be to proceed with a very interesting figure, someone who I think New York Chinese Christians knew about her, but she didn't really become a known person until I think about four years ago, or a little bit longer. So Grace, could you tell us a little bit about who Mabel Lee was? You bet. Mabel Lee uh, was the director of what is now known as the First Chinese Baptist Church, and she was the director from 1926 to 1966. She was born in Hong Kong in 1896, and then she came to the United States and really spent the rest of her life in New York. One of the things that really stands out for me about Mabel Lee is that it's so clear that she believed that her faith would always be in service of the public good. So for her, Christianity was all about serving her community and her society. At age 16, uh, she led the women's suffrage parade through the streets of New York City. Then she went to Barnard College, where she gave speeches about women's rights and democracy, both of which she felt emanated from Christian values. Then she was catapulted to study at Columbia University, and she was one of the youngest Asian American women to graduate in 1921 with a PhD from Columbia. And then there was an unexpected turn in her life. Her father, who was the pastor of what is now the First Chinese Baptist Church, her father got caught in a turf war, in a gang war in Chinatown. He was trying to arbitrate and bring about peace. But in that process, he actually ended up dying. 
And the only thing that Mabelie knew to do at that point was to pick up her father's mantle and leave aside any other aspirations she had to become the leader of the church that he had pastored and also the community center that was basically teaching English and citizenship classes throughout the week. So she was a de facto pastor and also the leader of a community center. But again, for her, I think the two were inextricably linked. Like there wasn't a separation between the two. What she did during the week, what she did on the weekends, how she cared for the congregation, how she helped disciple some young men and women in their faith, but also in their vocation, she took as part and parcel the same thing. One curious note is this was happening in the 1920s, uh, which was when the fundamentalist modernist controversy was raging. And so I think if she had lived a few decades later, there'd be no question that she would have had the title uh, pastor. But at the time, certainly Baptists were not ordaining women. I think there were at least five influences that I could come up with that influenced Lee's leadership. The first was that she had a family that believed in her and also exemplified the virtues of hard work and sacrifice. Secondly, she was inspired by Chinese nationalism. Remember, of course, China had only become a republic in 1912. So she was a young girl when that happened. And I think she always dreamt of being able to return to China and actually become a force in this young republic. Third, she believed firmly in the ideals of equality. She also really supported the idea, this missiological concept of being useful, that to play a part in God's kingdom was a vital duty of any Christian. And finally, she was part of an elite. She was part of this coterie of Asian American educated men and women, although sometimes she was the lone woman, particularly when you see some Columbia alum pictures and other kinds of reunions. She stood out. She was the only woman in a group of 25, but she was part of this generation of very well-educated and articulate uh, men and women. One thing I'd like to point out about Lee's leadership is she was not naive. She was very shrewd, particularly in her dealings with her own denomination, which was led by white men exclusively. So when she was given the opportunity, she invested all of her family's savings and also profits from a business that she had been running into purchasing the church building or the church property. And this proved to be incredibly, how should I say it? This was a really incredibly wise move on her part because on the one hand, it ensured that the autonomy of the church remained with an immigrant congregation and not with the denominational leaders. So in other words, this gave the first Chinese Baptist church 
the ability to be free to make their own decisions and not be subject to the priorities or whims of the denomination. The problem was that even though she had made a deal with the denominational leaders to purchase the church, they reneged. And so for the next 30 years, she was consumed in a battle to get the title of the church that she'd bought and that rightfully belonged to her family. Looking back, I think it's rather unfortunate that she had to expend so much of her energies and intelligence just trying to secure the title of the church. But it was her tenacity that allows the First Chinese Baptist Church to remain in existence to this day. Thank you. That was an incredible overview. I think that you summarized her life and it certainly raises a number of questions, like why she was a person who had the potential to find her way in elite Chinese society, but yet instead of returning to China, uh, she came back to a Chinese ghetto, Chinatown, and spent the rest of her life fighting this battle to secure property there. I wonder what you think about her decision to come back to Chinatown as opposed to going to overseas China, to, to China, where she might have uh, actually found some success. Tim, that's interesting you should ask that because, as you know, she was offered to be the dean of women students at Amoy University, and she turned them down. And then she went into business for a while. She was part of an export business in Hong Kong. And I'm actually convinced that some of the skills that she learned in business is what allowed her to be as successful as she was when she did take on the leadership of First Chinese Baptist Church. I don't think you learn in seminary then or now how to deal with denominational especially politically. Well, her PhD at Columbia was in economics, so <laughs> that might be a reason for her um, abilities. That's true, too. Well, yeah, that's wonderful. I, I thought this might be a good time to provide some historical overview about the Chinese-American community in the 1920s. I'll share a little bit, if you don't mind, just to give you a sense of what was happening in the Chinese population in the U.S. while Mabel Lee was growing up. In general, she was facing a declining Chinese population. Uh, the cens U.S. Census recorded between 1890 and 1900 a drop from 107,000 to about 89,000, a 16.4% drop. The following decade, it dropped further. So the Chinese population went from 89,000 to about 71,500, a 20% drop. And then between 1910 and 1920, it dropped even further to a low of 61,639, about a 14% decline. Now, this decline in population reflected the impact of discriminatory immigration laws, starting with the 1875 Page Act, the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, which was renewed in 1892 and 1902. And because of these discriminatory laws, it led to other social problems within the Chinese community. Chinese were largely segregated into urban ghettos, also known as Chinatowns, with very little economic opportunity outside. And it was extremely male-dominant because the Page Act of 1875 effectively eliminated female immigration. But while all this was going on, 
white missionaries and Chinese church leaders like Mabel Lee and her father, by the way, were a very intricate part of the Chinese community. The Christians were the very small minority of the Chinese population. They were heavily involved with the spiritual and social care of the Chinese community. And you kind of alluded to that, Grace, about how she and her dad were very involved with, um, well, her father involved with some of the, the local groups, the triads and family associations. I don't know. Let me stop here. Grace, do you want to say a little bit about her dad as well? Actually, one of the things I really admired about him was how much he personally supported her as a child in her educational endeavors. And I really felt like he treated her as if she were his son. Mm -hmm. And being an only child, um, I guess he really did pour all of his energies and hopes into her. One of the things that I really appreciated about Reverend To, Mabel Lee's father, is that he was someone that was recognized by ordinary people in the streets of Chinatown and even by triad members. And so again, I think where he gives us an example to follow today, he was able to integrate his faith with social commitments. And I think if there's anything that younger Christians are looking for, it's that faith that makes a difference in the public life. And I think Reverend Toe was able to bridge what seems to be a chasm these days. Absolutely. And when I was doing the research as well into the Chinese American Christian community, looking at the Christians of that time shocked me because they seemed so different from the Chinese Christians that I grew up with. They were so engaged both socially and politically with the issues of their day. And Mabel Lee was a suffragist. Who would have guessed, right, that a Chinese American woman would be involved with fighting for the woman's right to vote? And her father, too, was very engaged with the community life issues. In fact, he died trying to negotiate peace settlements between warring tongues. So unfortunately for him, I think that was one of the reasons why Mabel felt the need to return home. But Chinese-American community uh, was also very active politically. In addition to challenging discrimination, uh, they advocated for social justice reforms both in China and the U.S., and they fought for democracy in China after the Qing regime was toppled in 1911. So it did surprise me when I first looked into this, but then after I considered what was going on in China and among the Chinese-American community, it, it makes a lot of sense that both white and Chinese Christians at the time, because of, as you were saying, Grace, were very active in public life and thought of their faith as tied into public witness, it doesn't surprise me that they were very concerned about all these issues. This has been really fascinating so far, and I, I can say more about how I came to learn about Mabel Lee. I'm particularly interested in her suffragist activities, but um, just thinking about her faith and kind of how she fits to the history of Asian American Christianity. Grace, what would you say stood out about Mabel Lee when we look at kind of the longer history of Asian American Christianity? There's something I really liked that Mabel Lee said. For her, feminism was simply democracy for women. And I appreciate that so much because that word in itself can ignite all kinds of conversations. But she kept it really simple. For her, 
freedom. Uh, that's something that every person on this earth should have. And so I think that's what spurred her on to the work she did in this country, but even things that she was pleading for, for China as she was growing up, that she really felt like the women in China needed to be quote unquote liberated. They needed to be to share in the same kinds of advantages and privileges and rights that Americans like herself were able to enjoy. So I'm a U.S. historian, and so I teach the 19th Amendment, which gives women the right to vote in the United States. I mean, I teach that in every survey class that I teach. It's a very big kind of moment in American history. And there's been a number of historians, particularly historians of women in the United States, who've been writing about the 19th Amendment and mark the centennial of the 19th Amendment. And so there was, there was a lot of conferences, there were special journal issues, there was a lot of books that came out marking the centennial. And one of the big conversations that emerged from that centennial, which has been, I think, very productive, is the question of for whom was the 19th Amendment really an accomplishment or something that really mattered. And, you know, I think generally historians who, you know, look at <laughs> this moment, the 19th Amendment was in many ways, it was for white women. And, you know, when you think about Black women, when did, when did they actually get the right to vote? 1965, <laughs> the Voting Rights Act. And for Asian American women, you know, it's a really interesting story because when you think about kind of where voting rights fits into that story. I mean, you could argue that Asian Americans really don't get voting rights just in general until 1952, which is the first time that Asians are able to naturalize and claim U.S. citizenship. So, of course, the exception was, you know, if you were born in the United States, that was different um, and had U.S. citizenship as a result. But the piece that I found really interesting about Mabel Lee is that she's one of the very few Asian American voices and as I mentioned earlier, I only learned about her more recently, and I'm a historian, so even I was surprised. But there was a lot of writing about her. One historian at Penn State, Kathleen Cahill, um, wrote a whole book about kind of looking at white women, black women, Chinese American women, um, and others, I think an indigenous woman as well. And she actually came and gave a lecture at in my department last semester, and I remember asking her just about whether there was any kind of racial solidarity or kind of anything across racial lines. You know, she did talk a lot about Mabel Lee's kind of vision for women's empowerment and how it really tied, as you mentioned, Grace, it really tied to her views about Chinese nationalism, which is a really interesting piece of the story that I think most U.S. historians wouldn't even have conceived. Like that wouldn't be something that people would think about generally at all. And so I thought that piece was really interesting. I guess one thing I will say is, so I asked about the interracial solidarity and um, what Kathleen Cahill said was, what was interesting was is how segregated the different movements were in many ways. For example, she does talk about how Mabel Lee leads the women's suffrage parade that you mentioned earlier um, through New York City. And she does walk with white suffragists, for example. Um, but apparently there was still a lot of anti-Blackness within the movement. So I thought that was really interesting. But I think what Mabel Lee did at the time, I mean, that was incredibly pioneering. It was very, I think it's really worthy of study. I didn't actually know a lot about the role that her Christian faith played um, in her activism. That's something we've been talking about throughout this podcast season. It's what difference does it make that you're Christian? Like what difference does Christ make, right, to your advocacy and kind of what you believe your role is in greater society? And so I, I definitely think that that is something um, I'd love to hear more about and that I'm 
really glad I've learned more about, I think, through this conversation. One of the things that really did come to mind was the question of why didn't we know about her until more recently? I mean, for historians, I could probably say it's because there's a general inattention to Asian American history uh, within certain subfields of U.S. history. But I know that, that Tim had some thoughts about this as well. All right. I'll say a little bit. Um, but one of the things I've noticed in recent years, especially the last couple of years, and since last year was the 100th anniversary of uh, the 19th Amendment, is that in Chinatown, there is now a post office named after him. Isn't that right? Yes. And I don't know if you could, you were more close to that scene. But before I share about my piece, I thought you might want to tell me a little bit more about what you've seen, how that happened. How, how, did, how did suddenly she get a post office named after herself? I'm not sure who approached whom first, but basically some representative from the Postal Service uh, had the pastor and the current deacons um, who are basically the board of the church. Mm-hmm. And um, they all agreed that it was high time that something in Chinatown, namely this post office, would reflect some of the pride and the history of Asian Americans. So that's, it was, it was great to be actually at the ceremony where this was announced in the church. A few times I've seen that church packed out. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could have traced that, but I, this, what I've observed is that for some reason she became like the poster child for not only for the community activists who, who finally named the post office after her, but a, a number of other historians who, who blogged all of a sudden put up blog posts about her. Let me share with you a little bit about my recollection of how it seemed to tie into me. Okay, <laughs> um, Back in um, 1989 and 1990, I was um, doing research on Chinese American Christians. And I happened to find uh, the person from the First Chinese Baptist Church, one of the leaders there, and one of the persons that Mabel Lee actually helped to mentor, allowed me into the church to look at their collection of papers. Because I had known about Mabel Lee because of her connection through um, through the American Baptist denomination, people in my denomination, which she was part of, (laughs) that she fought against and resisted. Uh, knew of her too. So I went there, I found some of her collections and her papers, and I I wrote an article based on what I found. It didn't go into my dissertation, but it became an article. And and then I presented a paper about it back in 1996, and uh, Gary Okahiro commented on that. But after that, I basically didn't think about Mabel Lee for almost 20 years. It wasn't until about 1910 or so, 1913 actually, where I started to, when I decided to take some of my research and put it, post it up on my blog. So I wrote a, a blog about Mabel Lee in, in, uh, in 2013. And I think that's how you and I connected around her, right? Wouldn't you say? I think we started to explore and you did more local research because I was already in California at the time. So around that time, when I put that up in the public, it wasn't just you. Other people found that blog post and they started to do more research and dug around. And then, and suddenly in the last four years, the, the, all that information is now being posted up there. Most of the blogs don't talk much about her faith background. I don't know. That was my recollection of how it started from an innocent post. And then suddenly there's this widespread awareness and even Professor Catherine is, is, is talking about her. I don't know. Um, how did you come across the materials? I, I, don't, I don't recall how the two of us actually got together on that. 
Tim, I have to confess, I'm drawing a blank, but I know that you were seminal in the process because I'd, I'd never heard of her, I think, before you mentioned her. And probably it was through that blog, that initial blog. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, then I'm proud to take credit for that <laughs> because, because it was something that I thought would be just a helpful thing to share about um, some figures that are not what widely known. And, and the reason why she wasn't very well known was because her papers were in a church that didn't necessarily open itself up to the public. It wasn't archival material. And I think that goes to Jane's point about the, the nature of historical research for Asian American communities. Very often you can't go to the main standard um, uh, libraries or archives to find uh, these figures. And it takes a lot of legwork, a lot of travel. It can be very painstakingly difficult to access the materials. And then there's questions of language. I cannot read Chinese. And there's a, a lot of Chinese material there that if someone else could take a look would be able to probably uncover a lot more about Mabel Lee's story. So I guess just to sum it up, this is my plea for <laughs> to our audience out there to really support your historians who are trying to tell the story of, of Asian Americans and of women who are often not heard because of the nature of the discipline and the, the, the dominance of a particular narrative about religion and American history in general. No, I think these are great points that you made, Tim. And honestly, if any of you out there, you know, know folks that you think, you know, have life stories worth telling, <laughs> this is the time to do an oral history with them. This is the time to encourage them to donate their papers to places like Fuller, for example, where scholars can have access to them because Tim's right. And I'm sure Grace knows this as well. It's, you know, if we don't have the materials, it's really difficult for scholars to write about people like Mabel Lee um, and to write up histories and stories and to make sure that people remember, remember their lives and their accomplishments and their contributions. But something I think, you know, that I think Tim has alluded to and that Grace, you've mentioned as well. I mean, it's just the fact that Mabel Lee as a woman matters a great deal. And I, I was really struck by what you said earlier that had Mabel Lee lived a few decades later, kind of the trajectory of her ministerial life could have looked much different. And I wondered if you could kind of say a little more, I guess I have a broader question here. I mean, especially in your current position, you're the director of the Women's Institute at William Carey International University. And if you kind of think about women's leadership within the church, the broad question is how would you kind of describe the historical significance of women generally in missions and ministry? That's, that's a huge question, of course, but you can kind of take that however, kind of take it in whatever direction you want. So that's a kind of broad question. And then a more specific question that falls under there is just the question of kind of Mabel Lee and, and kind of how she might fit into those different trends or kind of that broader history. So I think taking Mabel Lee is the launching pad, something I have noticed is that senior level pastors who are women often have this background in business. And so it's not that women are deficient in theology or that they can't handle serious exegesis of the scripture, but I think this added skill of business acumen can be invaluable once you are talking about the quote-unquote upper echelons of church ministry, because it takes more, in my opinion, uh, than being able to preach a good sermon or have wonderful people skills and a close relationship to God. All of that's important, but it seems like 
Mabel Lee was onto something, maybe unintentionally. That was just the, it seemed the career that she might have been carving out for herself in um, export. But I think she really used any and all of her business skills uh, when she was leading the first Chinese Baptist church. This larger question of women in leadership, women in the pastorate, so for me, it's been a personal journey, and I think all of my time in different pastorates, I guess I really wanted to show myself and show others that, indeed, God does call women um, into the ministry without apology. At the same time, I'm re recognizing that maybe what we also need are more teachers and also people who have been in a church ministry to be able to um, urge, encourage, and pray women into church leadership. Not that that's the only venue for women to serve God. I really believe that men and women are called to serve in all kinds of fields and sectors, and the church isn't better than or superior or more spiritual. But for those women who are really called to serve and pastor churches, I think they need to be encouraged by their mentors and teachers, as well as by some of their close family members. And, you know, just to kind of situate Mabel Lee in a longer history, Grace, when did, I don't know, when did views on women's leadership, particularly within the church and ordination, when did those views change? Um, I guess you could look at theological views or even kind of institutional so policies. Like where does she fit within that history? I think you mentioned the 1920s as one kind of turning point. Could you say more about kind of where she fits into that history and, and, and when things changed? Tim might be able to give better dates, but so this has been a rather recent phenomenon and even uh, the mainline church uh, has only probably in the last 50, 60 years, started ordaining women officially. Uh, there are one or two exceptions to the rule, but that's, yeah, that's for another day. Sorry, Jane, can you repeat the question? Oh, the question was, when did views on women's leadership change? Um, and what were the changes? Because in terms of the theology, I know that you mentioned I mean, this is like religious historians nerd out, right? The 1920s fundamental, well, fundamentalist versus modernist split. I don't know if all of our listeners will know what that is, but if you could just kind of speak more broadly to kind of where views on women's leadership changed um, after the 1920s. It doesn't have to be date by date, but just kind of, that was the question I asked earlier. So sadly, I don't know if the situation has changed all that much. I think part of the reason we don't know as much as we wish we knew about Mabel Lee is because depending on the denominations or churches uh, that nurtured us, she wouldn't be a woman that a more conservative evangelical church would hail as a model. She is part of a mainline denomination, but there are plenty of Asian American Christians who've never even set foot in a denominational church. And I would say for these more conservative churches, the situation of women pastoring has not changed. Uh, the Southern Baptists certainly don't ordain women, 
and plenty of the non-denominational churches that some of our listeners may be familiar with do not as a policy ordain women. And so the reason I think it is so important to get good teaching on the matter is I really believe that biblically God shows over and over and over again God's support of women in leadership. And we need to kind of go back to those nuts and bolts if we're going to have an intelligent conversation, I think, with people who take very seriously uh, the scriptures. Grace, if I could uh, just add something. <clears throat> you're, you're absolutely right. I think the church in general has been very, very slow in the large majority of the church to accept the idea of women's ordination. However, historically, in most American religious historians can attest to this, the 1880s through the 1920s was actually a period where many women were actually active in leadership, perhaps not ordained, but they were very active in many, many areas of church leadership, whether Bible women or women missionaries or, or Mabel Lee's case, a woman who was accepted as a leader of her congregation in, in a community center. It really wasn't, at least in Protestant circles, until the fundamentalist modernist debates where a stronger and stauncher anti-women perspective became dominant. And the fundamentalists who are the grandparents or the, maybe the parents of the, are the evangelical ethos that we've all inherited have um, basically given to the broader evangelical church this complementarian or strong gender hierarchy. But historically, it hasn't always been like that. And I would even say that Mabel Lee, the fact that she was able to fight and resist her denomination, male-dominated leadership, was because the American Baptists at the time actually accepted women's leadership. So she had a voice there, but not as much as there, there are other factors that I think that mitigated against her. But yes, I just wanted to add that little note that there was a period when <laughs> I think Mary Daly calls it the feminization of American culture in the late 19th and early 20th century that uh, the entire American culture turned against in the, by the middle of the 20th century. But let me stop there and, and let Jane <laughs> carry on with the follow-up question. Well, I think that we wanted to, you know, kind of to wrap up our conversation um, and our really rich conversation and what we learned about Mabel Lee. I guess our final question is more future-oriented. So now, you know, knowing what we know about Mabel Lee's life and what she was able to accomplish, and even, you know, at the same time, the limitations that gender and kind of other expectations placed on her. So knowing a little more about her life and some of the history about, of women um, in this earlier period of Asian American Christianity, what do you think this says about kind of choices that Asian American Christians today might make going forward? I would think that the sky's the limit if Mabel Lee in her era could go as far as she did, how much more can we do? And especially if we do it collectively. I, I think one of the things Mabel Lee faced was she was isolated and she was very much alone in her battle. And I think the difference today is we can find many allies and friends and supporters. And so we need to join together in any movement of justice uh, that we're going to be a part of. Thank you so much, Grace, for your time and for, your, for all that you've been doing in your, your life in ministry and, and scholarship. 
As we close our time, would you have any additional thoughts or suggestions that you would like to share with our listeners? One thing just to follow up on what you were uh, saying so well, Tim, about the fundamentalist modernist controversy, my hope is that we're reaching a time uh, in our lives where we don't feel as though we have to choose between the Bible and supporting women, but rather that we can really dig into the scriptures to see God's support of women through every era of biblical history. And again, if Paul can champion women 2,000 years ago, how much more should we be able to do the same? And that it behooves both men and women to do that further study, to be able to articulate a strong apologetic for women in church ministry. And then something that Jane was reflecting on about the 19th Amendment, um, I do think it's rather tragic that women haven't been able to join forces across color and racial and ethnic divides. I think, again, for us to be able to leverage the power that we have as women, we need to continually work at diversity and work at a common good. And I I think that's going to call for, particularly, I think Asian Americans have a big role that they can play in that, because I think we tend to be bridge people. Um, And I think this is a great time to exercise that strength. I really sense in our country, but also globally, that there's a real cry for that. And even if it takes more time and more energy, I think the results are going to be so much richer, deeper, and long-lasting. Well, Dr. Grace May, thank you so much. It's been such a delight to have you join us today. I look forward to hearing much more from you in the future. It's been a pleasure and very humbling to be with all of you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. You can listen to Centering episodes at soundcloud.com backslash Centering Podcast or your favorite podcast app. Go in peace and remember that God loves and embraces all of who you are.